0: This is episode number 219 with Mike McCowitz of the Founder Podcast. What
1: you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential now. Now, now, now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Goat, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, what's going on? Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, and also the host Of the Founder Podcast. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me, and just really invest in yourself. Like you must be listening to this because you're currently an entrepreneur. You've just started your business. You want to scale your business, or you're just about working on you know launching your business. And you know there's no better place than to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation. I'm very humbled. Very blessed to speak to some incredible founders. And the person that I speak to today, this guy actually changed my life. Um, Now, I heard him speak at uh, a little talk that he did um, in Melbourne uh, for an EO event. I'm a a member of a group called Entrepreneurs' Organization, incredible uh, networking group and membership, entrepreneurial membership group. But... Anyways, this guy changed my life Um, because here's the thing, right? When you're starting your business or wherever you're at, you know, launching it, trying to scale it, cash is king. And some of you guys might have investors. Some of you guys might have a decent runway. But for a lot of you guys, much like, you know, us at Founder, we're a bootstrap startup. And, you know, cash is the oxygen and the lifeblood of our business. And much like, you know, me, you guys are probably obsessed with growth and it's never enough. So you keep pushing and you just keep sacrificing profit for growth and you keep putting that money back in, putting that money back in, putting that money back in. And then, you know, you it gets to a point where you're just like, where the hell did all this money go? And you know, when I heard like when I heard Mike talk, it was so like I had just had such an epiphany. Um, we talk about a lot of cool stuff, not just finance, but um, I'm just gonna leave it there. You've gotta listen to this episode. And if you are enjoying these podcast episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us big time. Like, share this with your friends. We need to get this found. We're on a mission at found to impact tens of millions of people with our content every single week. We're in the millions right now. And we can only grow with your help. All right. That's it from me, guys. Now let's jump to the show. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job?
1: <laughs> my, my job as an entrepreneur or a job otherwise?
0: Yeah. The, I guess, the, yeah, the job uh, that you're doing today, how would you find yourself doing the work you're doing today?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so what I do today is I am a full-time author. I mean, that being said, I, I do own some businesses too. But my my primary function, my primary job, is being an author. And uh, how I got the job was uh, I've been a lifetime entrepreneur, um, had some great you know successes. I'm putting air quotes around it because I thought they were successes. I sold these businesses; they made a lot of money. But they but what happened was I, I didn't have an appreciation around money. I had arrogance around money and ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance together is a deadly combination. I I, I lost all my money through just pure, stupid, foolish moves and, and a cockiness that was, was undeserved and, uh, it resulted in, in near bankruptcy, but it also spawned a, a spark for me in that, you know, there's a, there's a popular saying that if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? Well, I believe there's a complimentary saying, and these two run in tandem. If you had all the money in the world, you know, we would do something, but perhaps something that's whimsical. Yeah. I, I want to uh, write poetry because I have all the money in the world, or I want to sit on the beach and drink margaritas all the time. Yeah, those are outlets, but I don't know if they serve uh, a mechanism for sustainability. So I believe the second question is, if you had no money in this world, what would you do? And when the answer is the same for having all the money in the world or no money in this world, when the answer is the same, now you found something that serves purpose uh, and a greater calling, something that your heart desires to do, but also has sustainability because there's, there's a resource, there's financial resource behind it. And for me, if I had all the money in the world, I was like, Oh, one day I'd love to be an author. I think it'd be so cool. And then when I had no money, I said, this, this is also a means to an end. Like th- this can support me. And so when the declaration was being an author, a small business author in both cases, that's when I said, okay, I'm going all in on this. And I did. And that's what my job is today.
0: Awesome. Amazing. And, uh, like I I heard you speak at a an Eo event, um, and you spoke about the, your profit first first methodology, and uh, man, that was a very life changing talk for me, um, and I've I've implemented profit first, made my life so much easier, um, because you know uh, we you know we're we're a bootstrap startup, we haven't raised any capital, so you know every every single dollar that we generate in revenue, we have to make that work, um, so. I guess um, before we even get to that though, I, 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 and I really want to share this with our audience because we've never spoken around um, with anyone around cash flow and, and management of cash and, and how to manage your money, um, especially when you're just getting started or, or your business is growing, it can be tough. And, and I know that you know a lot of people use revenue as a vanity metric. Um, around how and how big your team is as a vanity metric and how big others teams are and how much revenue other you know companies are doing or your competitors are doing or how much capital your competitors have raised. so before we even get to that you know you said you said that you did you know uh, buy uh, you did start a few businesses and you ended up selling them and you made a lot of money and you lost that money out of pure cockiness because you didn't value it or respect that I'd love to go a little deeper on that. can you tell us the stories? around what exactly happened and, and the businesses that you were running?
1: Yeah. So I got caught up in the vanity metrics. Th- there's two specific ones you said. How big is the business revenue-wise? How big is the business uh, employee-wise? Which is the old, you know, how big is it question. <laughs> a classic vanity question. And what I was focused on, when those were my measurements, uh, I would go to, you know, other entrepreneurs and say, listen, I just I just passed a million. And they'd say, well, we just did 2 million. I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to do 3 million. And I, I do anything to keep driving that number. When someone said they had 10 employees, I was like proudly pounding my chest about 15 employees. And then when someone said they had 20, it's like, I need to get to 25 or 30. And what I foolishly thought was if I take care of those numbers, the rest of the business will take care of itself. In fact, you know, there's that saying revenue is vanity, profit is sanity and cash is King. Um, I have a uh, phraseology right. I, I believe that revenue is really stress points. The, the The more revenue business does, the more stress it puts on the business. because revenue is a uh, is an obligation. Every time I sell something uh, and generate revenue, I have an obligation to serve that or deliver a product based upon it. So the more revenue I generate, the greater my obligation to my clientele. That's stress. I believe what offsets that, the the balance, the the yang to that yin, is profit. And if I have tons of stress with no profit, tons of revenue, with no profit, the stress points are so high that I was just sitting, you know, kind of banging my head against the corner of the wall, which I was, uh, what happened though is uh, companies came in, in both instances, I was in the technology space, technology services. One was in uh, setting up computer networks. The other one was in computer crime investigation and both those businesses, uh, n- high, high growth revenue horrible profit meaning they were losing money extremely stressful i was surviving check by check you know playing cash flow games uh, stretching out my vendors not paying them on time begging clients to pay me early just to cover the cash flow and um companies came in and bought both of them and, and and arrogantly I said, oh, clearly they're buying my companies because they see my genius. No, they were doing rollups, they were doing strategic acquisitions, saying, hey, if we buy this you know, computer crime investigation company and ten others, we can minimize their bloated costs, consolidate it, and we can actually run very efficient businesses. So they were very strategic in what they were doing. I didn't see it, but I also took money off the table, which affirmed my cockiness. I was like, ah, oh, see, they're paying me for this. I'm clearly a genius. I'm going to amplify this process, and I'm going to start pumping and dumping businesses left and right. I actually became an angel investor. I now lovingly uh, reflect back upon those days, and no longer call myself an angel investor. I prefer to call <laughs> myself, and I shared, I shared this at the event. I, I prefer to go by the angel of death, because I I was so bad, like I was so out of place, so in a zone uh, that was not my skill set. And I started at approximately 10 companies simultaneously, disparate industries. Nothing I was familiar with, putting money into them, and these businesses all failed because they, they you know, I, I was inserting myself in ways that was inappropriate. I, I didn't have any knowledge, and the the, the entrepreneurs I was investing in uh, weren't entrepreneurs. They'd never started businesses before. They just had an idea. So I was just betting on ideas backed by people with no experience and one really ignorant, cocky person, me. Well, it took about two years, and all those businesses were out of business. And all the money I'd gained, and I had literally become a millionaire in my early 30s, everything was gone. I mean, every penny. And I had to come home, uh, face my family, who I'd been shamefully lying to at this point uh, by omission. I, I didn't tell them how bad it was, nor did I even really acknowledge it to myself. I, I saw the money going away. So logically, I, I, I knew my bank accounts were depleting at a crazy fast rate. But emotionally, I hadn't accepted it yet. Well, at this point, uh, my life is around 2008. There was nothing left. I, I had to face the music, and I told my family. I was just sobbing in front of them, ashamed of myself. I actually told a story at, at the EO venue you were at. My daughter uh, ran out of the room as I was telling the story. She was nine years old at the time. I thought she was running away, which I feel is appropriate when you know when when devastating news is delivered. When when we hit the darkest moments in our life, the solution is, I think, to run away, like you know, go where no one knows us. But as you know, my daughter wasn't running away. She ran to her room, grabbed her piggy bank, came back to me and, and, and looked at me, you know, with these big eyes in my face and said, Daddy, I'll support our family. And, and that was a, a moment of shame and embarrassment and frustration with myself, also pride in her. I'll never forget the, the piggy bank was wrapped in duct tape. And, and rubber bands not because it, it was broken actually it was pristine condition but she wanted to block the stopper at the bottom she wanted to ensure that no one ever took a penny out of there because she was saving the money for what she wanted which was a horse and she felt that most valued goal in her life uh was was insignificant compared to saving her father um so that i still choke up about. It. I, 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 that moment became a turning point for me, and it wasn't. By the way, it's not instantaneous. It's not like I said, "Oh, I know all the answers to my 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 shortcomings." But it did plant the seed, uh, and it took me years. Over time, slowly, I started to reflect upon my life and and the arrogance I had, the the cockiness, uh, the ignorance, and um, started to really investigate that, and then try, set out to fix my own errors my own problems so it, the ironic thing is all the books i've written i have another one coming out too e- every book i write is always about really foundationally fixing myself there's a saying what we teach is what we in fact need to learn and the books i write i hope they serve thousands you know hundreds of thousands of millions of entrepreneurs is my dream but honestly it starts because i gotta fix myself so that that's how i became an author
0: what ended up happening next after, you know, you, you kind of hit rock bottom and you said you, you come close to bankruptcy.
1: Yeah. So, um, this is also a dark period of my life, but I think it's important to share because I don't think I'm the only person that's this. When I, uh, when I was facing bankruptcy, I started to drink. I, I went through depression, a mild form of depression. Uh, called functional depression. Functional depression is where you still have the ability to function uh, to some degree, but I removed myself from any social interaction. Uh, You know, I I hid away in the corner effectively. I I started drinking a lot and uh, also um, became an insomniac. I couldn't sleep. And uh, it's kind of slogged along. You know, I I remember looking forward to falling asleep, uh, begging I'd fall asleep because I couldn't. And when I fell asleep, hoping that I would, Never wake up. This is not suicidal thought by any stretch of imagination, but I wouldn't wake up because I didn't want to face the next day and go through this dark cloud again. And the process would happen over and over. You know, another turning point uh, for me was I was talking with a group of peers, and this one guy I told him I was going through, and he looked at me and said, "You know, you really need to start a journal." Um, Thank God he didn't say the word diary, by the way, because I think I would have never done it. (laughs) But basically a diary, and what I. came To realize is the diary is an outlet for just le- allowing your thoughts to come out. I, I used to think I had to write, you know, f- 10 positive affirmations. Sometimes you see it on Facebook where people write, like, oh, I'm gonna write one good thing a day for 50 days. But what, what the objective here was actually just write whatever came to mind anger, frustration, disappointment, any emotion. And it became a very therapeutic process for me. I started writing constantly just vacating my mind, uh, of thoughts. And, um, that became, that became a a life changer for me. It it became my therapy, uh, just allowing myself to relieve that steam pressure buildup of the, the anger and disappointment I had myself. And it started bringing back focus. I started to move forward again. Uh, that's where I, where I really started to go more and more on all in on being an author and starting to own that title of being an author. This is just one last component. Once I declared uh, I was going to be an author, like this is what I wanted to do, I, I, I realized now in retrospect I didn't really own it. When people ask me what do they do, I say, oh, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, which I didn't have a business at the time. I was just an author. But I said, oh, I'm an entrepreneur who, who I'm writing a couple of books. And then one day, going through this kind of self-assigned uh, therapy through journaling, one day I said, you know what? If, if I'm going to be an author, I got to freaking say I'm an author. Like that, that's who I am. Everything else is secondary to that, and uh, with that epiphany, things really started to change. Just because I behaved consistently with it, I started really actively being a full time author, and um, and for me, it's 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 been a, a a dream come true. It's it's the dream job for me.
0: Yeah, wow, amazing. So, so just to get this straight, so I'm a hundred percent on the same page. Um, you know, when when uh, when things got really really dark and stuff you you rebuilt from from journaling and writing
1: yeah yeah isn't that funny like writing became a therapy and it continues to be and I, you know i don't want people to be creeped out And like reading a book saying oh my god this is the guy's therapy i'm reading it's, it's not that way it's not it's not don't worry you're not you're not you know you read my books you're not going through some dark journey with me in fact uh i write i hopefully people uh, find it to be a very engaging fun light easy read Uh, Simple but really profound ideas is my goal. But the essence of it is I'm just trying to fix pieces myself. And uh, I realized for me to understand the concept is I I really need it simplified. Like accounting, it's complex. It confuses me and it it tires me out. It frustrates me. And therefore, I avoid it. So when I wrote Profit First, you saw me present on that. And when I wrote Profit First, it, it was because I needed to fix my struggles with accounting. It was just too much. And I came up with a super simple system that just worked with who I am. And uh, so I did with all my books. The pumpkin plan was I, I was struggling growing my businesses and it was too hard to go through, you know, business coaching and all that stuff. So I just I made my own little system and, and sure enough it worked. And my newest book's called Clockwork, it's about recovering time. Like I, w- my most recent struggle that I, I've confronted over the last six years is is workaholism, just you know, grind it out. And I actually the pride I had. In uh, in being a grinder, a hustler, and now um, I don't associate pride with that. I, I associate inefficiency with that. Uh, I want my company to run itself. I, I don't want to be the 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 catalyst or driver behind it. I want to be the the thought and the spirit and the soul behind it, but not the heartbeat. And um, once I had that realization, I started writing the book as you know the, the solution I've been seeking for myself. That book, by the way, Clockwork, the one's coming out. It took six years to write because. I have to live through it. I have to figure it out for myself. I have to test on others. I have to interview countless people, and uh, only until it's right do I think this should go to the next stage, and I should share it with other people.
0: Yeah, wow, amazing. So, if we could talk about profit first, because that was a life changer for me, and then let's talk about clockwork, because um, uh, obviously, yeah, you've you've written four books, um, and obviously we can't talk about them all, <laughs> but uh, and. uh and uh, yeah, I, I I didn't um I've heard about the toilet paper entrepreneur and also Pumpkin Plan, but um haven't read those. Uh, I I will now just I've speaking with you because I didn't understand that these are all different systems that you're I guess inventing um and creating to to make life easier as, as an entrepreneur. So let's talk about profit first. Um, you know, like how does that work? Why does that work? Uh, and why what why should people use Profit first as a way of managing cash flow.
1: Yeah, so profit first um, was this realization I had about myself, and I, I wonder, Nathan, if you're the same way, and, and many of the entrepreneurs listening, is my accountant for years would tell me, you know, read your income statement, your balance sheet, your cash flow statement, all these different documents. Uh, know my KPIs, my my key performance indicators. Have a budget. He'd even tell me, I gotta know my metrics, like. You know what's the operating cash ratio what's my inventory turn uh what's what's my cash turn like all these different things um, to know the health of my business and ironically said so the one thing you should never do is look at your bank accounts because that doesn't reflect the health of your business it's these other things that reflect the health of your business and tie these all these sheets in together and and now you have the map to your healthy business but here's what i really did i said thank you uh and then i never looked at in those documents and, and even today I've never been able to read a cash flow statement. I I really don't know how to read it. I don't really know how to read a balance sheet. I'll I'll pretend it. And even an income statement, I'll say I know how to read it. Like There's the profit, there's the expenses, there's the income. But I don't really understand the consequences of it. But what I do know is that when I look at my bank account, based upon the balance, I take actions. If there's money, I spend it. If there's not, I I panic. And uh, so I realized my natural behavior is to log into my bank account see what the balance is and then take actions accordingly. I also realized changing my behavior is impossible. My accountant has been telling me for years to do something different and I don't. Therefore, for me to think that one day magically I'm going to become this accounting guru is is false. So profit first is a system that captures our natural behavior. Specifically, it's a bank based system. What I do is I log in my bank account now and I have multiple accounts it's based upon a concept called the envelope system, where you pre-allocate money to an intended purpose. Money comes into my business. It goes into an income account. The sole purpose of the income account is to be a distribution platform, a, a serving tray, if you will. Just like when you serve a meal, you, you know you don't tell your, your guests, hey, everyone, just everyone eat off the serving tray, every man for themselves. What we do is we apportion to every person, every guest at the table to their plate, a, a, a portion of the food off the serving tray. A serving tray's purpose is to serve, not to feed our appetite. The plates are what feed us. So in our business, our income account is a serving tray. Money comes in there for display purposes. We then carve it up or allocate it to these different plates. And there's a plate like profit, a reward for the shareholders, owner's compensation to pay the most important employee in the company, which is the owner-operator, taxes, our tax liabilities, and operating expenses, which is how we run our business. Now, these are the foundational five income plus those other four. And I believe many businesses, as you get more sophisticated profit first, will have more, some additional specific accounts, maybe a payroll account for your employees. Maybe you'll have um, a cap X for capital expenditures, big machinery, and stuff like that. Uh, my, my own business has about 11 accounts now. I find most oh, wow. businesses end up, yeah, I think most businesses have between eight to maybe 12. Uh, more than that, it gets unruly. Um, I think most businesses need to have at least five. but Maybe you can have more. But by doing this, what happens now, Nathan, is money comes into my business, came in today, uh, and then at, on a periodic basis, it just piles up on that, um, that serving tray. I allocate it to these different accounts. Based upon what I see in these accounts, I know the action to take. I know how much I can spend on my business. Actually took uh, owner distributions today, so I knew exactly. Oh wow!
0: Congratulations! (laughs) Thank
1: you. Thank you. Um, This is, by the way, this is the weekly distribution. Um, The the, that that owner distribution, the profit distribution came out a week ago because that was the end of our quarter. We're on the calendar year, so April first, the profit distribution came out. And uh, what's interesting is the owner distribution supports my lifestyle. Uh, It's my expected income, and it's you know I do everything to grow that over time, growing my business. And then the profit is a, is a bonus on top of it. But what it does is it controls my expenses. I know exactly what i have available to run my business. I know exactly how to manage the the, the business because this is how much money I have to do things. So it just brings clarity on the use of money before I spend a penny.
0: Mm. Yeah. So what was so life-changing for me when I heard about the system, implemented it, it's amazing we still use it today, is it gives every single dollar that comes into your business a purpose. And before that, um, you spoke about I think it was Parkinson's law. Can you share something yes. around Parkinson's law? I thought that that yeah, was like sure. that was like wow, epiphany for me because I was the same. I I got it, man.
1: Yeah, Parkinson's law—that's the big one. So, Parkinson, just to give you a little history lesson, Parkinson was a behavioral theorist. Uh, lived in the nineteen. Uh, at least, came up with his theory in 1950, and what he was studying was uh the how humans utilize a resource. And um, what he noticed is that as a resource expands its availability, so does the consumption. His initial study is around time. And how time works is if I have more time available to do something, if I give you a month to complete a project, it'll likely take you a month. If I give you two days to complete a project, you might get done in two days because now we've compressed the resource of time and so we hustle to get it done. people um, it's funny, if you interview most people, Uh, say, who's here good, who's good at cramming for tests, you'll find that actually most people say they're good cramming for tests. Well, no, we're not good at cramming a test. We're just naturally living into Parkinson's law. As the the resource of time depletes, we start becoming more efficient in its utilization because there's less time left. Well, his law or theory applies to all resources. If I put, if you like cookies, for example, and I put one cookie on a cookie plate in front of you, you have the propensity to eat one cookie. If I put a plate of 15 cookies in front of you, you have the propensity to eat more than one cookie, maybe three or four, maybe five or six. Maybe over the day you'll eat all of them because the resource has expanded, so therefore our consumption expands. And the application is true for money too. When when we put – when we look at that one bank account, that's all the cookies right there on the table. What do we do? We consume it. And uh, anyone listening to the show maybe can relate to this. Have you noticed, listener, as your income increases, it's almost uncanny that your expenses seem to increase at the exact same rate. Every time you think you take a step ahead, your expenses instantly are are catching up to it. You can never get ahead. If you ever experience that or you feel that way, that's Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law is the expansion of a resource uh, results in the expansion of demand. So profit first becomes our friend here because it leverages the other side of Parkinson's law. But the other side is, as a resource depletes in its availability, we become more frugal in its use because clearly there's less of it. Like if I only put one cookie in front of you, you can't eat two. You have to only eat one because there is only one. But the other thing is we become more innovative. We find ways of stretching it out. You know, you break that cookie in little bits and you have a little nibble here, a little nibble there. Um, with with, uh, with time or with money, uh, if you if you reduce the amount of money available, uh, yes, you'll spend less, but you'll also say. Ah, Maybe I don't need new furniture. Let me buy used furniture. Maybe I don't need a new computer. Let me see if I can uh, get one from a company that's, that's upgrading their computers and get get one for free. Um, we We start looking for innovative ways to get the same results at no or little cost. And that's where Profit First really works for us. In practice, money flows into our business. We immediately take or carve up the money in these different accounts. Doing this order, by the way, of profit first, then paying yourself, then the tax. The last thing you do is operating expenses. And there's a behavioral reason behind that. We want to reward ourselves with profit, reward ourselves with owner's compensation, protect ourselves with taxes, meaning we don't have to worry about it, and then serve the business last with the operating expenses. And when you carve the money up this way uh, and take your profit first, you're restricting the amount of money flowing into the operating expenses, which now leverages the positive side of Parkinson's law. Where a constrained resource, money in this case, results in frugal use. Uh, we're much more selective in how we use that money, and we become very innovative in how we use that money.
0: Mm. Yeah, man. I. This is like so true, and I always wondered, like, um, uh, like you know, I remember when I before I started founder, and I used to work in a in a nine to five day job that I absolutely utterly hated. I I always noticed whenever I got a pay increase at my work. Um, that it was never enough, I'd always find a way to spend it.
1: Never enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you know, the definition of that is you uh, you are a human being. <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> uh, welcome to the race of humanity, right? And and that's true for all of us. There's never enough money. That, that's why when employees, business owners, and everyone and their mother in between constantly uh, have to come back to the coffers looking for more. So the irony is, if we take the money off the plate and don't even see it, we live within the constraints of what's left over. That's how in many countries, if you're an employee, your taxes are taken out of your paycheck prior to receiving your net pay. As a result, most people pay all their taxes on time because it's been taken out in advance. But if they pay, you know, if they want to save for retirement or something like that, they seem to never have money left over. Because all the money comes into their pocket, and then they decide, well, maybe I should try to save some. But you know what? Let me take care of my day-to-day expenses first. So if you want to protect money, you got to protect it from yourself. Remove that profit. Hide it before you even really touch it effectively. Remove those taxes. Hide it before you touch it. And sure enough, your lifestyle will adjust to live off the remainder.
0: Yeah, no, this was this was really life changing for me, guys. So I'm really excited to have Mike on to share this with you. And and for me, another big thing, a big epiphany was was once you start using this system, um, when the money has the purpose. Because me, I'm I'm a growth junkie, like most entrepreneurs. So growth, growth, growth. Any meter money that we have coming in, we just keep putting it back into reinvest to keep growing. And now that money has a purpose, we can still reinvest for growth, but it's allocated. Which um just makes my life so much more easier and less stressful. So this is this is amazing, Mike. Thank you so much. Um so, oh, thank you. Uh, I I guess um before we move on to the clockwork book, uh, I, I just want to know like how, how can people get started? I know you have like a little template or something that um, you know, helps people with the allocations or like how how, how can people get started?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you an, an actionable tip you can take without you know needing to download or access anything. But there is a download. Uh, I have a uh, a one sheet. It's free for download. You don't even need to sign up. You can just go to my site and get it. So uh, my site's MikeMcCallowitz.com. I know that's a real doozy to spell, so there's a shortcut. Go to Mike Motorbike. That was my nickname in high school. So Mike <laughs> Motorbike. You go to MikeMotorbike.com. It'll bring you to my site. Go to the resources page. And on there, there's a Profit First section. And you'll see the one uh, the quick start guide, the one sheet. And it walks you through the steps of setting a Profit First. So it's there. It's a free download. It'll get you started and hopefully inspires you to read the book if you so desire. But the action you can take without even downloading that resource, and there's no excuse not to do this. Today, you can call your bank and set up one account. Um, set a savings account up. And uh, once you have that savings account set up, start allocating 1% of your income. It's such a small amount of money that it won't affect your business. I'm saying if you take in $10,000 or $1,000 or whatever the number is, let's say $10,000, 1% of 10,000 is a hundred bucks. We take that hundred bucks, we put into the profit account because if you can run your business off $10,000, you can run your business off of 9,900. It is inconsequential in regards to the effects on your business, but the impact on profit is significant. It's a hundred bucks. I know that's not a life changer, but your impression will be, whoa, I just took my profit first, and you start building that muscle. And then you will start asking yourself, well, what if I did 2% or 4%? And over time, you'll grow into it. So the, the key is profit first. I tell people that the big mistake people make is go in full throttle right from the get-go. It's too abrupt. It's too hard. I found businesses that successfully implement profit first, and we now have over 75,000 companies doing this. So it's not like this is our first, oh, first wow. arrival at the rodeo. Yeah. So it's not our first arrival at, at the rodeo. We, we see businesses go through this. The ones who are successful inevitably start really slow, build their profit muscle. And they do it this way. They set that one account. They start allocating profit toward it 1%. Maybe a few months later, they go to 2%. Maybe a few months later, they add another account like owner's compensation. Maybe it takes them a year, maybe even two years. But over time, they start building more and more muscle. And then... Uh, achieve you know, permanent profitability.
0: Awesome. So let's talk about your new book. Uh, when's it coming out? Is it out? Um, uh, and and what, what can people expect to learn? How did you come come to writing this one? You said around your time. Time, yeah.
1: Yeah, so my newest book, uh, it's called Clockwork. And uh, what the realization is, is I believe there's a Maslow's hierarchy of entrepreneurship, just like there's a Maslow's hierarchy of uh, of our needs, our, our, our human needs it starts off, you know, if you don't have oxygen and, and water and food, uh, you're dead. And, and, but if you have that, the next level up is you need shelter and heat, and, you know, it keeps building up ultimately to self-actualization. I believe, uh, in a much simplified form, there's three versions for business owners. And I believe the foundational one is profitability. Meaning if my business isn't making money, it's draining money. All I'm going to worry about is making money. I, if I don't have money, I'm done. The next level up, once we make money, and I hope profit first is a guide to get people there. Once you start making profit and, and, and consistent income for yourself, the next level now is the recovery of time. And what I find is a lot of entrepreneurs become the uh, the, the essence of the business. They're doing all the work, uh, and they they do so much work, particularly nowadays, that they don't have time for family, for life's enjoyment and stuff like that. We need to recover time, and that's what clockwork is about. How do you Designed the business to run itself. What I did was I, uh, I told you, I spent six years writing this book. Actually, I the first manuscript I completed the book and I threw it out because it wasn't there yet. It was painful to do that, but I wrote the book from the ground up again, based upon interviews of of very systematized successful companies, uh, my own experiments and failures with myself, uh, and experience studying nature. Even I found, for example, beehives are very efficient organisms, if you will, or or organizations. And uh, they follow simple rules to, to scale. And, and one of them is such an important one. It became uh, the core essence of the book. I call it the QBR. And the QBR stands for the queen bee role. Uh, in beehives, there's a queen bee who serves the most critical role, which is laying eggs. Uh, if eggs aren't being laid, uh, the, the hive will die. Bees on average live about eight weeks. So uh, you need the constant egg production. The, the, one thing that's important to know is the queen bee herself is not the most important insect in the hive. They're all important. It's the laying of eggs that's critical. So much so that if the queen bee is failing to produce eggs, uh, they will spawn a new queen bee and, and get the other one out. So the queen bee serves the most functional, important role, but it's the role that matters. We got to lay eggs. And what happens is every bee knows the basic... Now, the basically, the only two rules. Rule one is you protect the queen bee role. If eggs aren't being laid, we got to make sure that the eggs are being laid. That means get the, the queen, give her food, uh, fan the eggs, uh, fan the queen bee, cool the hive, heat the hive, um, or eradicate the queen bee and get another queen bee spawn stat. Like, it matters that much. Once the queen bee role is protected and being served, then they go on and do the next thing, which is their primary job. Some of them are scouts, some collect food, you know, nectar, pollen. Others um, are drones, they move eggs around. So rule number one is to protect the queen bee. Rule two is do your primary job. How this translates into business, and why I wrote about clockwork, is every business has a queen bee role. There's that one thing that a business hinges its success on. It's the most important factor in your business. Every employee, every person, the owner too, must know what it is it must make sure that it's being served and protected. Only once it's being served and protected can they go do their their other job. And I'll give one example uh, before we you know wrap up on clockwork. If you go to the doctor's office, a well run doctor's office, when you walk in, there'll be someone checking you in. It better not be the doctor. It'll be someone else. You'll be while you sit in the waiting room, a file will be pulled. It better not be the doctor pulling that file. It should be someone else. You'll be escorted to a waiting. Uh, I'm sorry, an examination room. It better not be the doctor, it should be someone else. Once you're in the examination room, the first person that comes in is probably a nurse. They poke and prod you and do some initial stuff and they leave. Then the doctor comes in very momentarily, does an examination, and afterwards talks with you very briefly. That's the queen bee role for doctor's offices. It's the examination and the prescription. And the doctor is the one who can deliver that service. But if the doctor is pulling files, checking people in, even doing the pre-exam. She is being diluted in laying those eggs, the most important thing. So a well-run doctor's office has multiple even examination rooms that one doctor can go boom, 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 one after the other and get these done. That's the laying the eggs. And what we need to do is analyze our own businesses, identify what's the most critical role we're going to hinge our success on, and then make sure that's always the primary thing being served. If it is, it elevates the entire organization. If it's being compromised, the entire organization is being compromised.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, so what 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 action items can can people take just immediately uh, to to ensure that uh, they can remain effective?
1: Yeah. So we got to figure out what the queen bee role is in your organization, and I'll give you a real simple method to do this. If you're a small business. Usually the owner of the business is already serving it because you're the, the one of the most valued employees. If you're a, a bigger business or you have highly paid employees, usually the highest paid employees are doing it. So at a doctor's office, either you're the doctor or maybe you have a doctor's office. You're not a doctor, but your highest paid employees are the doctors. So we want to look at those folks. Then what we do is a simple chart. And I, I use well, not even a chart. I use sticky notes. And what I do is I take six sticky notes and put them down. And on each note, I put down for that person, that employee, or myself, what are the six most important things they do? You know, the doctor, uh, one thing I may write down is they they write out prescriptions. Another one is they uh, they talk with the insurance company about bills. Another thing is they do examinations. Uh, and, and I'd write down all the things. Then, using deductive logic, I remove one sticky note at a time saying, well, these are the six most important. But what... It, what one is the least important of these six and I pulled off the table then uh, the five I say what's the least of these five and through deductive logic I get down to the true number one that's the QBR. once it's defined, we now educate the team and say guys we've identified that you know conducting an examination is the most critical thing. the people filling this role are XYZ uh, you know it's the um, doctor and therefore if you ever see the doctor doing something other than examining, we as an organization have a problem. So it's identify and then educate and act accordingly uh, to protect that QBR. Kind of like, a well, I don't know if a manufacturer is a good analogy, but every business goes through processes similar to manufacturers. And manufacturers have these things called bottlenecks, that machine that if it's running slow, you know, the whole line waits for it. In our business, it's the same thing. The QBR is the, the most important machine I don't like that term, but the most important machine of the organization. And if it's not running at top capacity and efficiently, the entire organization is suffering. That's how important this role is.
0: Mm. So, so the need to find out the QBR.
1: Yeah. Find the QBR, educate the team about the QBR and, uh, you know, protect it with your life. The entire organization will, will benefit from it.
0: Amazing. And, um, Look, we have to work towards wrapping up uh, because uh, time is of the essence. But, uh, mate, I'm I'm really curious around. I, I guess what's what's the biggest challenge for you in your businesses right now? Um, so it sounds like you know, like I I'm curious. Like you said. You said that you have 75,000 businesses using the Profit First system. Does that mean that um, not only as an author, you you have like a, a back end of, of um, like a, a service or, or some sort of coaching or consulting? We do. Or, yeah.
1: That's how we know we have so many businesses doing it. So uh, Profit First spawned quite naturally. I, I didn't even originally intend it, but uh, the first people that were reading the manuscript started asking me, who's the accountant – or the bookkeeper or the coach that's that's serving profit first so i was like oh that clearly we need an organization of professionals so i started profit first professionals and uh, now we're 270 plus people strong with a global wow. presence we're in us yeah we're in australia we have about 10 uh, representatives in australia now we we just opened offices in melbourne wow. and uh, yeah and what we're doing is these are people that are working directly with entrepreneurs that are looking for help so we have, uh, impacted 75,000 plus people. Plus we think there's there's definitely more people out there that are going solo w- with the process too. So, um, that's how we're getting the word out. And, and the, the most beautiful thing is for my own business, the QBR, the critical role is the, the mess. We call it the messenger, spreading the word on profit first. The more people that are aware of it, the greater the impact we can have on this world and the, the better it is for our own business. Well, if, if I'm the only guy out there, you know, doing all the speaking engagements that you saw me at, um, it's very limited. So what we're doing now is many of our members are out there speaking on profit first. And the big win happened three weeks ago. We had uh, 30 plus presentations happen in one week. That was the most we ever happened oh, wow. in a single week. And I only did three of them. I'm still doing it, but I only did 10% of the speeches and, uh, that's what protecting the QBR is. And as a result, Profit First is, is, is spreading faster than ever before. and hopefully will continue to.
0: Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you have like, not, you're not just an author, you have some other businesses going on. Yeah, so I'm, really, I'm really curious, like I do. what's, what's the biggest challenge for you right now? Um. So my, my next, I'm still going through the clockwork process myself to totally
1: remove myself from the businesses that I own, but I, I'm 80 to 90% out. I, I have a president in, in my business, uh, the profit First Professionals, there's, there's presence in, in some other ventures I'm involved in. And, and they, they own and run the companies as my partner. So I'm moving from that. The, the, the next stage, uh, I think, is impact. And I think there's gonna be a, I'm going to be writing a book about that. I'm actually convinced. I don't know if it's going to be the next book. I think it is. Is um, I, I believe the final part of Maslow's entrepreneurial hierarchy, Starts at Profit, Goes to time, and the last thing is, is soulfulness or impact. I believe um, businesses can serve a great purpose, either touching people very deeply or touching a broad audience of people, or maybe a combination touching a broad audience very deeply. And uh, I think we, especially myself, need to become very clear on what and how that impact works and then have our business serve that purpose. I, I think that's the ultimate way to grow a healthy business, but also care for our communities is by being very purposeful or soulful. So that's what's next. That's the next challenge for me.
0: Amazing, man. Well, look, I'm a massive fan of your work. I'm, I just cannot thank you enough for taking the time to, uh, uh, speak with me and share uh, all of your wisdom with our audience so uh where's the best place people can go to find out more about yourself and your work i know you said um i think what was the what was the nickname mike motorbike yeah mike motorbike, <laughs> yeah, so, mike
1: motorbike so go to mike motorbike.com um you know i used to write for the wall street journal for a few years and uh, you can if you're a subscriber you can get my articles in their archive or uh you sign up at my website you can get all my articles for free that's actually some of my best work um I did say even more powerful than my books because they're very concise and actionable. Um, And also all my books, the chapter downloads are there. I'm a podcaster, a blogger. Uh, I think there's a lot of resources up there for any entrepreneur who's looking to move
0: their business forward. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Mike. An absolute pleasure, mate. Take care. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview